Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is brought to you by Thinking Ahead. Thinking Ahead's diverse team of executive recruiters specialize in executive-level talent acquisition in the world's most competitive and sought-after industries. As an employee-owned company, Thinking Ahead has award-winning consultants widely recognized as subject matter experts in their respective specialties, including banking, life sciences, healthcare, nonprofit, IT and gaming, energy, legal, security, and sales. Since 1982, Thinking Ahead has built expertise and delivered results that keep their clients engaged year after year. They believe that recruiting is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Their wide-ranging expertise enables them to ask the right questions, arrive at the best answers, and deliver desired results quickly. They continue to excel on their mission to connect the right people with the right organizations at the right time. Visit thinkingahead.com to learn more about how our specialists can help you recruit top-level talent, or serve as a trusted advocate in your career search. Welcome to the Action Catalyst podcast. This is Adam Outland, and today we're speaking with Ken Coleman, nationally syndicated radio host, often referred to as America's career coach, as well as the number one best-selling author. Welcome, Ken. Good to talk with you. We're glad to have you back. This is actually your second time on the program, and I wanted to jump straight into a meaty topic that's on a lot of our minds right now, which is the so-called great resignation. Many people are switching jobs, leaving the workforce entirely, or just waiting on the sidelines. But what can employers be doing right now to drive retention in today's market? Yeah, it's a really great question. So if we're talking about retention, you better be showing your team that there's a ladder where they are. Because I think leaders need to hear this. The the leader mentality, and it's about getting the right person in the right spot, right? So I'm a big football fan. We're in the middle of football season. So you've got a 53-man roster on the NFL. And so every year they go through an arduous process by which they take 90-some players or whatever it is when they start training camp, and then they whittle it down to a 53-man roster. And the great GMs and the great coaches are ones that assemble the right talent. And so the leader's role is, do I have the right people on the right seat of the bus? That is the primary role. However, a blind spot for leaders is when they don't think, how do I keep them? One of the ways that we we keep them is what you've addressed in the question, uh, retention, is about making sure that they see an opportunity to grow, not just in their skill set, not just in their experience, not just financially, but in their role, more influence, more of a challenge. All those other things matter tremendously. But at the end of the day, we are creatures of progress. And and so you've got to make sure that you give these people a ladder to a future, that they see contribution growing. And I think if you do that, you're going to have people stay with you much longer. That's powerful. And that's right in alignment with our own values. Here at the Southwestern family of companies, there's people walking the halls that have been here for 
40 and 50 years. And so having a culture where people can see growth and promotions happening from the ground up is so important. We'd love to hear a bit more about your background because I know that your path didn't begin in the same direction as where you are today. Yeah, well, you know, this book uh, was written from my own experience um, because I was somebody who was very much ambitious, certainly intentional, feeling like I was on purpose in my professional life in that I thought I was uh, called to go into public service in the area of politics. And uh, the short answer is, I'm in my early 30s, and I realized that my fire, my passion for political work was waning big time. And so I began to really examine that and came to the conclusion that that was not the the direction. That was no longer the professional pinnacle. And so that is a very unsettling thing when certainly when you've been focused on it and headed that direction and on your way for quite some time. And so as I began the process of discovering what my unique role was, where I was supposed to contribute professionally, I then began to realize that there were some similarities between public service and broadcasting in that I love to communicate. I wanted to communicate publicly. Uh, I wanted to maximize the opportunity to influence as many people as possible. So as I began to walk through that, I realized that broadcasting was what I wanted to do. My heart re-engaged. That tuning fork inside my chest went off. I was like, okay, I I love that public performance, that public communication. I certainly enjoy the pressure that comes with that. That's a pretty sick thing when we know that most people would rather die than speak in public. But I'm one of those few freaks that I get the juice, man. And so I love it. So as I begin to go, okay, my heart's saying yes, but then my head got involved. And uh, boy, we all know what this feels like. So the head starts going, well, you're 33. You don't have a degree in broadcasting. You've never done any real broadcasting. And so I, I was really paralyzed for about a year to two years and sat on the sidelines kind of having a pity party. And then one day I realized I'm just going to get out and do this. Nobody's sitting around thinking how they can help Ken Coleman. You know, nobody woke up today going, I think that Ken Coleman guy's got some raw talent. I think he'd be great in broadcasting. I can make that happen for him. Where is his number? That doesn't happen. And so I got to a point where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to face rejection. I'm going to have to face fear. I'm going to have to face doubt and pride, and I'm going to have to step out and do it. So I just started doing stuff and I signed up for broadcasting class, sports broadcasting class and got there the first day. And there were a bunch of 20 somethings and I was 33 at the time, I think 34. I can't even remember. And it was two weeks into the class before the guys realized I wasn't an instructor. So uh, it was kind of humbling, but it was also great. Got me the opportunity to do my first live broadcast, which was high school football play-by-play on the internet. Two people listening to that first broadcast, the kid in the booth next to me and my wife, uh, the kid was so nervous. He didn't know what was happening. And uh, Stacy, even if she didn't like it, she wouldn't tell me. She's that amazing. But of course, today you're now the host of The Ken Coleman Show, where you hear from people every day looking to land their dream job. In talking to your listeners, what are some of the commonalities? What are most people looking for? Yeah, so that's a really great question. I think it falls into three major buckets of people that are listening to the show and calling the show. The first group are people who who really don't know clearly or they don't believe firmly that they know what they're supposed to do with their life. So we could call them unclear or confused. That's the first bucket. I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, Ken. The second group, they know what they want to do. Pretty darn good idea, but they don't know how to get there. 
And then the third group is very interesting. Uh, They know what they want to do or what they're supposed to do. They know how to get there, but fear finances or family or past failure is keeping them on the sideline. So that group is really interesting. It's a smaller group of the three, but those people know what they're supposed to do and how to get there. But uh, either uh, they have to make a move and, and family would never go for it or family would be upset. Or maybe they're fi- they're in debt and their finances are a mess, and so they're like, I don't think I can do it. And then past failure, whether it was moral failure or they started a version of the dream years ago and it failed spectacularly, and they're just they're afraid to come back out of the cave. Okay, let's start with the people who are lacking vision. How do you begin with that group? Yeah, so these people are in stage one of the seven stages that I unpack in the book. And stage one is get clear. So they're not clear. We got to get them clear. And here's how you do it. There's three indicators. Think of it as a, a panel on our car. When we all get in the car, we see all the gauges and everything. And for our own personal dashboard, as a human being, there are really three indicators. The first is talent. That's what you do best, really simple. And we're talking specifically hard skills and then people skills, otherwise known as soft skills, right? And so we want to get really clear on what we do best. I don't want to know what your average talents are. Uh, I really don't care what your awful talents are, right? Where you just, uh, you're just, you're abysmal. Uh, Those are weaknesses. Those are good to know about, but those don't indicate anything about our purpose other than to say, these are areas we weren't created to spend a lot of time in. All right. So that's the first indicator, talent, what you do best. Second indicator, passion. Now this is defined as work you love to do. So this is again for specifics. What work do you look forward to? I mean, the task, the function, a role. So you leaders out there, you love leading. You just love leading people and all that encompasses that. When you think about opportunities to lead, you have high emotion. Watch this. When you are in the midst of leading, you have high emotion. Time stands still. You feel the juice. And then you are devoted to it to the point that you want to get better. Um, you, you, you can't imagine a scenario where you aren't leading a team and leading people that's high emotion, high devotion. And now the last indicator is mission. Now this is results that matter deeply to you. This is where the results of the work and your personal values have a really tight connection. Okay. So what results do you want to contribute to the world? So that's mission. They all three come together. And they show us where we were meant to contribute. So when I use what I do best, talent, to do work I love, passion, to produce results that matter deeply to me, mission, and they come together like a big, giant neon arrow, and that's a direction, a compass. And it says, here in the world, the marketplace, the world at work, this is where I was created to contribute. And here's what's beautiful about this. It's not one job. It's not one silver bullet. What if I make the wrong decision? It's not that. Because in your sweet spot, where all three, talent, passion, and mission align, there are multiple jobs, career paths, and even dream jobs. And so that's what I say to that person. Let's get clear on the work that you were created to do. We created an assessment in that first stage. It's called the Get Clear Career Assessment. And we show you where you score on the universal talents, the universal passions, and the universal missional results. And then we fill out a purpose statement for you. And then we give you professional possibilities so that now you've got a litmus test. 
a filter by which you make all future professional decisions. Now we move to stage two, getting qualified. And then you move on to stage three, get connected for opportunities. Stage four, when opportunities come to you through connections, you can get started. Stage five, now we're working on the ladder, climbing that mountain, if you will. That's stage five, get promoted. Stage six is get the dream job. And then what do you do when you're on top of that mountain? Well, now your focus changes. And now I've, I'm looking out and the dream expands. And I, in stage seven, give myself away. I'm not working for income anymore. It's there. Influence is there. It's all about impact. So that's a quick snapshot of the seven stages and how all that fits in. And all of that is in your book. What, what's the name of your book again for our listeners? Sure. It's From Paycheck to Purpose. Those four words really address the emotions that every human experiences around work. Think about it, right? From paycheck to purpose. Paycheck is the provision we all have got to pro- provide for ourselves or for others, but then we all long to make a difference. Contribution, and that's the purpose piece. And so uh, we want people to realize that you can make the income that you desire and the impact. Now, over the years, you've had some very notable guests on your show from U.S. presidents, Tim Tebow, Tony Hawk, countless others. Who have been a few of your absolute favorites? Wow, that's uh, that's that's co- my favorite list is pretty pretty long. I could probably do a top ten. I, I think the names that pop out first and foremost at the very top of the list: Coach Mike Shashevsky, first major interview I ever did, and to this day, uh, an hour sitting on the floor of Cameron Indoor Arena, Coach K Court. That was pretty amazing. I love coaches. I love Pat Summit, the you know the greatest one of the greatest coaches of all time. Peyton Manning. That was that was a really fun interview. What a serious, serious competitor he is. Uh, committed to greatness. Certainly enjoyed interviewing Condoleezza Rice. We're talking about a brilliant woman that served our country in so many unique ways. Certainly a history maker. I recently interviewed George W. Bush. Probably one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever done. He's top three, not just because he was a former president, but because of how comfortable in his own skin he is, uh, despite the fact that he's seen and heard things that a fraction, a teeny tiny fraction of, of, of the population will ever see and hear. That was enjoyable. Mike Rowe from uh, Dirty Jobs, probably one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever done, uh, just from a conversation standpoint. I was telling some friends the other night at dinner, they were asking me a similar question. I put Malcolm Gladwell on the list because of all the people I've interviewed, and I've interviewed two presidents and U.S. senators and all the things, the most intimidating person I've ever interviewed was Malcolm Gladwell because of how brilliant he is. He's just such a smart guy, but he's very humble. Malcolm is up there. It's amazing how, while these names that we kind of marvel at of how you know well-known or accomplished they are, the reality is they're just men and women like us. And to truly have a conversation like that is powerful, powerful experience. I'm very blessed. You mentioned Pat Summit. I'm not sure if you know this, but one of the groups under the Southwestern Family of Companies is the Pat Summit Leadership Group. Do you want a great Pat Summit story? Absolutely. Okay. So this is from my interview. And uh, I don't know how many times she told the story, but your audience will love it. It's a great leadership lesson. So I'll give you the quick version. So I asked her one time, I said, uh, what was one of the most valuable lessons you learned early on as a young coach? Because she took the job at Tennessee, I believe at 22 or 23. It was one of the two. So she's really young. She's only a couple of years older uh, than maybe the freshman and maybe a year older than her seniors. And she told me about her first game. It was against Mercer and they lost. And uh, she called her dad because she always did after every game. And he answered the phone. He said, all right, just like that. She said, daddy, what do you think? He goes, well, Pat, you need to get you some racehorses because you don't take donkeys to the Kentucky Derby. And that's all he said. And uh, that was the end of that conversation. And she said it stuck with her, you know, 
you know, you got to have thoroughbreds to win big. And as a leader, your, I think, most important responsibility is to, is to assemble talent, the right talent. So that's a fun little, uh, little story I love to share. So let's talk a bit about another one of your books, The One Question, which asks the reader what they would want to know from the people they admire the most. What's the secret to a well-crafted question? Yeah. So, you know, the secret to a good interview is also the secret to a great conversation, which I'm a huge fan of connections. And, you know, we talk a lot about that, that stage three in the new book from paycheck to purpose, get connected. So what's the, what's the art of connection? And it's really taken on the posture of a student. Can you transform yourself into a human sponge? And so, you know, in my interviews, my goal and my posture even is one of, you have so much value to give to the audience. And I'm here to get as much of that out of you as possible. So that's, that's the mindset. And so that, that, you know, informs the questions that I ask. So like with a patch summit, you know, you know, you got to first know who your audience is. And so if you're a leader and you're doing an interview for your company or your team, whatever you, even though, you know, it's your company, you got to sit down and ask yourself, what does the audience want to know and need to know right now? The want to know is, you know, what do they want to know when they hear from somebody that's very influential? So there's a little bit of the entertainment appetite that you're looking at there. Now, the need to know is, okay, uh, they need to hear some leadership lessons from Pat Summit because she's in such a unique thing. So, you know, you're starting with that and that informs the rest of the conversation because I now know that Pat Summit has, has experience and then she has skill that can be transferable to the audience. And so how do I maximize that? And so that's a simple answer to that. That's that's how you make sure that you're doing a really good interview. And that's powerful for any leader as well. Anyone who wants to draw the best out of their employees and be authentic and honest with them about how to improve. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And again, I mentioned this briefly, but I want to highlight really quick. That's the key to a great conversation. You know, a leader to leader and you're hanging around other eagles. Instead of talking about yourself, show up and ask questions, get knowledge and wisdom, get insight. People feel tremendously valuable when we ask them their opinion. And so you're showing that you value them and they're going to feel tremendously valuable as a result. So, I mean, don't, don't forget that technique in everyday conversations. That's great. So on that note, what are some of the most surprising responses you got when you were interviewing for the one question? Were you ever caught off guard? No, I, I you know, that, that book was so thought out. The, the format of that book, as you know, is to reveal and showcase the power of one question to, to yield life-changing answers. One that sticks out to me uh, is the Jim Collins answer, you know, and I'm, I'm asking him about why do we as consumers want to consume great, but we as humans are so scared of doing what's necessary to do great. You know, the idea is, is that when you and your wife book a vacation, this conversation never happens. Hey, listen, what do you think about an average resort? Uh, they got an average rating. And uh, there's an average beach there. Or who says, man, I love our team. I'm so excited this year. They're, they're, they're 500. They're five and five, and we're so fired up. Or let's go to a concert. They're okay. I don't really like the band. They're okay. Like nobody says that. So we don't consume average, but we don't pursue greatness. And so that was the heart of the question. Okay. And so I asked Collins that. And as you know, he goes on to say, he goes, he, he recalls a story when he was teaching in a business school and a young man came up to him and said, I've got a, a fork in the road. Professor Collins, uh, do I take a job with a Fortune 500 company, uh, which has got the stock options, the great benefits, yada, 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 super secure? It's a lock versus do I go start my own business? When the young man asked him that, he, he, he responded and said, well, 
who's to say that the job with the Fortune 500 company is in fact that stable? And he reminded the young man of how quickly Enron, which I think everybody in businesses knows the unbelievable historic collapse of Enron. He was basically saying, if the economy tanks or there's a moral failure or there's something that goes on, all that stock can evaporate in a moment. And he said, betting on yourself is as safe, if not safer than working for someone else. And he said to me, Ken, this is what we all must face. And he said, we all tend to lean towards a future that is almost paint by numbers. And he said, there's safety, we think, in that kind of approach, as opposed to going to a blank canvas and painting our own masterpiece. Therein lies why most people don't pursue greatness. And essentially what he was so phenomenal in saying is, is that we would rather be safe and even potentially miserable than we would to be uncomfortable. We humans would rather be miserable than uncomfortable. And the reason is we know what to expect with the miserable, right? We can bite our stick, get through it, drink our face off at happy hour on Friday, go out on the lake on Saturday, watch a bunch of football on Friday and try to like forget everything. And then Sunday night comes around and, and, and we get all anxious, we get all nasty and miserable, and we just try to make it through the next weekend. And that's because, again, we'd rather be miserable than uncomfortable. And when people weigh the costs to choose purpose over a paycheck, many people, sadly, will choose the paycheck and not go for purpose. And it's an uphill battle, man. This isn't one book's going to solve this problem, you know, but we as leaders, we can help. You know, because if you get people that are on purpose in positions that they were created to fill in your company, you can't hold greatness back. So, Ken, in closing, when you're thinking about vision and purpose and you're talking to someone who's calling in and they say, man, I've been at it a, a while now and I'm having a tough time staying motivated. What would you say to someone who's hit that slump and needs to recharge? Yeah. The first thing I would tell them is, is you're not having a problem with motivation. You've lost sight of your why. You don't have a motivation issue you have a confusion issue. You have a distraction issue. And so I would tell them to retreat to clarity. And I would tell them to go back to the process that I teach, that I unpacked, get clear, write a purpose statement. If you've never written one before, take the get clear career assessment, read the first two chapters of this new book. Because when I retreat to clarity, I see my why again. See, vision is the where. Vision is the mountaintop. Purpose is the why. Why do I want to scale the mountaintop? And so when we lose motivation, we have forgotten our motive. So the root word of motivation is motive. When we watch these legal dramas on television or in the movies and the lawyers uh, that are the prosecuting attorneys, and they are trying to convince the jury that there was a motive and they're trying to say, this is the motive. And if they can establish motive, then guilt can be attached. And essentially it's going, why would that person do this bad thing? Well, here's why. And when they prove the why, and so we, so it's like the, the root word of motivation is motive. So I just got to be able to say, what's my motive? And when I get back to clarity, I see my motive. I reattach, reconnect to my why. And then you're not going to have a problem getting out of bed the next day. But I can tell you that the person who is, is lacking motivation has been distracted or is confused. And I'll give you a practical example so that it doesn't feel like I'm teaching in platitudes. I get calls all the time from teachers, elementary school teachers, middle school teachers, high school teachers in the public school system. And I'm not bashing the public school system. I'm just telling you what's happening on the show. I'm telling you what's happening in real life. And by the way, go look up the data. You can go check me on this. Uh, teachers are quitting at alarming rates. 
And the reason is, is because the system is jacked up. They spend more time doing paperwork. Um, they're unable to discipline. They have all this pressure for standardized test scores to be able to keep their job so that, you know, or the school gets funding for them to be able to keep their job. And they're not focused on the thing that they got into it for, which is just the instruction and the guiding of young human beings. And yet when they got into it, their why was really clear, but now the why has been covered up by all this other stuff. And so what has happened is they've gotten distracted because the system makes them do all these other things and they don't even get to spend hardly any time on the joy. And so they get distracted to the point where they get confused. And so that's an example where distraction and confusion are the perfect storm. And now teachers call me going, Ken, I thought I was supposed to be a teacher, but I've lost my passion and I have no idea where to go. And so I've got to uncover what's caused the confusion and the distraction. And then at the heart of it, I go, I'm not saying that you have to stay in the environment you're in, but you've not lost your passion for instruction. It's really instruction is what you love. Turning on the light bulb for people. So you can do that in the corporate environment, in HR, corporate training. You can do it on the community college or college level where the students actually want to be there. And then they begin to see that they didn't lose their passion. They got distracted. They got confused. Wow. Yeah. That adds a lot of clarity about avoiding outside influence and really controlling the controllables. This has been a a really great conversation and and I really appreciate your time. Where's the best place for our listeners to reach out to you or pick up your books? Thank you for asking. KenColeman.com is the best way to get the book. Connect with me on social media there as well. uh, And then find out how to listen or watch the show. We're on YouTube, podcast, SiriusXM, and 75 radio stations around the country. Well, there you have it. Ken, thanks again for joining us on the Action Catalyst. Anytime. Always enjoy being with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.